So what we're doing here at City is we are processing through a teaching series that we've entitled Rise. And Rise, as you know, if you've been a part of City and you've been with us, Rise has been the teaching series that we utilized for the several weeks that led up to Easter. But what we are now doing is we are processing through the 50 days that followed Easter. Because Lent is the 40-day build-up to Easter, but there are also 50 days that happen after Easter, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. There are unique things. There are incredible things that take place with Jesus over those 50 days. And so what I want us to do this morning, and if you've been with us, you know we've been kind of processing through the Gospel of Luke and taking a look at the events after the resurrection. Well, this morning what I want to focus on is what is known in the Scriptures as the ascension. The ascension. It's when Jesus has spent the last 39 days gathering together the disciples, all of whom cut bait and ran after he was crucified. He has spent 39 days going around recollecting all of them, and he finally has them together. And while he has them together, just before he ascends into heaven, Jesus shares something with the disciples. And what we need to understand is, what he shared with his disciples is mission critical for us to understand as well. Now, I say this often, every time I talk about Easter or the resurrection, I share this, that Christmas is only found in two Gospels, only two, Matthew and Luke. There are four Gospels. The other two Gospels never mention Christmas or the nativity scene, and after Matthew and Luke, none of the Newer Testament writers throughout the rest of the Newer Testament ever reference Christmas, but every single one of them talks about the resurrection. Do you want to know why? Without the resurrection, we would not be sitting here. The bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead is why Christianity has not just survived, but has thrived over the past 2,000 years. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, all of his teachings would have disappeared into antiquity and you would have never heard of Christmas. But Jesus did rise from the grave. He was bodily resurrected from the dead, and the book of Acts tells us the reason why is, is because death could not keep him, death could not hold him. Jesus conquers death, sin, hell, and the grave by being resurrected on the third day. But here's what's amazing, is that Jesus Christ, in resurrected form, gathers his disciples together, and on the 39th day, he ascends to heaven. Now, 10 or 11 days after that will be the day of Pentecost. We're going to look at that on May the 20th. I'm going to preach a sermon on Pentecost. What is it, and what does it mean to us? But what we're going to look at today is the message that Jesus gives his disciples when he is in resurrected body and he has gathered them together. Here's the message. It's found in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Here's what Jesus says when he gathers his disciples together. He says this, 
I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city, in other words, stay in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high. So here's what Jesus says to his disciples. If you think the resurrection was something, wait until you experience what's next. Jesus in resurrected body is now talking about what will happen next to the disciples. And he says, look, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. Stay here because what my father has promised will be given to you. And when it happens, you'll be clothed with power. You see, there has been a parallel theme to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection announcements throughout the Gospels. Jesus frequently in all four Gospels would pull his disciples together before he was dead, buried, and resurrected, and he would deliver the following news. Guys, here's what you need to know. I'm going to be handed over, tortured, crucified. I'm going to be killed, but on the third day, I will rise from the dead. And every time Jesus makes that announcement, the disciples get depressed. Every time. And he tells them repeatedly over and over, and every time he makes that mention that he is going to be physically removed from them, they get bummed out, they get depressed, and then Jesus shares with them a parallel theme that he always talks about when he talks about his death, burial, and resurrection. And it's this. It's found in John chapter 16, verse 7. Here's what it says. Jesus says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. So Jesus is there with his disciples. He tells them he's going to be bodily killed, bodily removed from them. And he says to them, the fact that I'm leaving is a good thing. It's actually better for you that I get removed from you. Now listen, I know some of you are sitting here, you're thinking about people in your life, and you would not mind if they were removed from your life. You would say, that would be just all right by me. But to think that Jesus is going to be removed from his disciples, there's zero chance the disciples viewed that as a good thing. But Jesus said it was. And here's why. He said, it's a good thing I'm going to be removed from you because if I stay, the advocate will not come to you. But if I leave, then the advocate will appear. Another time when Jesus is talking about his death, his bodily removal from the disciples. John 14, 6, 16 says this. He replies to his disciples, the Father will give you another advocate to help you, and this advocate will be with you forever. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So another time in John 14, when Jesus tells his disciples he's leaving, they get depressed, and Jesus says to them, look, I've been your advocate. 
I've been with you, but when I am removed, my Father is going to send you another advocate. And guess what, guys? This is going to be awesome. This advocate will never leave you. This advocate will be with you forever. Not only this, but this advocate won't just be with you, but this advocate is going to be in you. Jesus not only speaks of it there, but again he says to his disciples, John 14, 26. Jesus again when he's talking about the fact that he's physically going to be removed from their lives, they get depressed and here's what Jesus says to them. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says to his disciples, I am physically going to be removed from you, but that's actually a good thing. Because you see, Jesus could only physically be in one place at one time. And what we know is just like all of the college grads that were up front here who are going to be dispersed all over the globe, that's also what would happen to the disciples. And Jesus in bodily form could only be with one, or if they're together, he could be with them. But when the diaspora happens, when the disciples are scattered around the globe, Jesus would not be able to be with all of them. And so Jesus says to them, I am going to be physically removed. And when I am, that's a good thing. Because you see, when I'm removed, God is going to send a promised Holy Spirit but Jesus uses terminology for the Holy Spirit that is fascinating. You see, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to remind you, the Holy Spirit will teach you more about Jesus, but he also calls the Holy Spirit a paraclete. A paraclete. Say that word with me. Ready? Paraclete. You know some Greek now. Paraclete is an incredible word in the Greek language. It's a word that everyone in Jesus' audience was familiar with. The word paraclete actually is translated in the NIV as advocate. That's why in those scriptures you kept seeing the capitalized word advocate. Jesus didn't call the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit most of the time in that context. He speaks of the Holy Spirit being an advocate. Well, in Greek, that's paraclete. Paraclete is actually the combination of two Greek words. The first one is para. It means to stand alongside of. It means to be right next to. And then kleo is the other part of that word, which simply means to make an announcement or to be called. And so Jesus terms the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, in other words, as the one who will stand with the disciples, and he will make judgments or make calls. Now, here's where that word literally comes from functionally during Jesus' time. You see, in Jewish culture of Jesus' day, a lot of the Jews did not understand the Roman legal system. And so if they were on trial... If they got in trouble, 
in order to stand before the Roman court, they would hire a Roman individual who understood Roman law, and that person who would stand with the Jewish person in court and would speak for them and would speak and would guide them and be a comfort to them was called a paraclete. So here's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He's saying this. I'm going to bodily be removed from you. I've been your advocate. But God the Father has promised to send another advocate. And when that advocate comes, he will stand with you. He will guide you. He will direct you. And in the NIV, it is not translated, I'm sorry, in the King James, it's not translated as advocate. It is translated as comforter. So Jesus says to his disciples, when I exit you, when I leave you, God is going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be your paraclete. But Jesus also says this, the Holy Spirit will not just be with you, but the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. Is it not amazing that every time Jesus talks about his death, burial, and resurrection, there is a parallel theme? And the theme is this. He's going to leave, but God is going to send the paraclete. He will send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is uploading a promise to the disciples that even though he is gone, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit who will be in them will continue to teach them, will continue to remind them of everything Jesus had said, and will literally be with them in the midst of their trials and in the midst of their tough times. The same way Jesus had been with them, now the Holy Spirit will take his place. Now, when we think about that, we need to think about how we're going to put feet to our faith in this context. Because you see, this message is not just for Jesus' disciples, but it's for us as well. So how do we put feet to our faith when it comes to this? How do we practically apply Jesus' announcement to our own lives? Well, here's where we need to begin. Right here. Here's where we begin. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit is a who? The Holy Spirit is not a what? Or, for you UVA fans, a who? <laughs> you got that? The Holy Spirit is a who? Not a what? The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person as part of the Godhead, every much as the Father, the Son, and now the Holy Spirit. And so as we begin to put feet to our faith, please understand what Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to us, that in the midst of life, when you are in a trial, when you are in a tough time, the paraclete is with you. The paraclete is a person, not a what. Now what's fascinating is, not only did Jesus say that the Holy Spirit would be with people, but also in people, 
We find in the Newer Testament that the Apostle Paul, the greatest theologian that ever lived, about 25 years after Jesus walked this earth, he said this. He said, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? I want you to notice this, that in this verse, it says that the Apostle Paul is teaching his people that the physical bodies of the Christian, of the Jesus follower, literally now becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. And notice it doesn't say what is in you. It says whom is in you. Now let me explain how amazing this is. You see, in the Jewish historical reality, and in their religion, the Holy Spirit always dwelt in the temple on Mount Zion in the middle of Jerusalem. The temple was this magnificent building that God commanded had been built, and it was literally God's house. And so in the midst of that, there was a room called the Holy of Holies, and in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, and God's Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, always lived in that building, in that specific room in the temple. And all of a sudden, Jesus, when he talks to his disciples about what will happen after the resurrection, he says that the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, won't just be with you. The Holy Spirit will be in you. And then all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul picks up on this. And the Apostle Paul says this to you and me, that we need to understand. He phrases it this way, do you not know? Don't you understand that your physical body is now the temple, the Holy Spirit? Here's what that means. You don't have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You don't have to go through any other person to get to the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go through anyone else for God to teach you, for God to speak to you. But the moment you say yes and you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, from that moment on, God's Spirit dwells in you and dwells in me. And Paul wants you to know, and Jesus wants you to know, that your body, from the millisecond you say yes to Jesus, when you repent of your sin and you say yes to Christ, from that millisecond on, your body is now the temple, the Holy Spirit. Now listen. The Apostle Paul goes on to say something else. So as we look at this and we're putting feet to our faith, how practically we're going to live this out, the Apostle Paul says this, to the church in Corinth. Here's what he writes to them. It's 1 Corinthians 16, 19, and 20. I want you to notice what Paul writes. He says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, that's Ephesians 5, 18. The Apostle Paul, after saying, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, 
He goes on to write to the church in Ephesus the following. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, when we think about what Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you know what, guys, I'm going to be taken away. And when I'm taken away, you're going to enter a huge trial. But be comforted. God is going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit won't just be with you, disciples. The Holy Spirit's going to be in you. The Apostle Paul agrees with that. In Corinthians, he announces that. He says, listen, our bodies are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. And to the church in Ephesians, he says this. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to things that aren't good. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about this as we practically think about applying the Holy Spirit to our lives. Let's talk about this. You know what Paul's referencing? Is that people, even 2,000 years ago during his time, when they had a struggle, they would turn to certain things to help them get through. And when life threw them a curveball, when life threw them a trial, when they were facing things they would never sign up for, they would turn to certain things. And one of them was wine. That they would turn to wine and they would utilize that in order to help them get through. But the Apostle Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, some of you sitting here are saying, well... I've been through tough times, and the good thing is, I've never turned to wine. Let me explain. That's just one example. Do you want me to give you a few more? Here we go. Some of us, when we go through a tough time, we turn to illicit sex. Others of us, when we go through a tough time, we turn to pornography. Some of us, when we go through a difficult time, we turn to bitterness. Some of us, when we go through a difficult time, we go shopping. And we take on debt that we can't afford. Others of us, when we go through a tough time, we turn to a pity party. And we say, no one could ever understand. No one's ever had it as bad as I have it. It's worse for me than it's ever been for anyone else. You see, when we hit tough times, what the Apostle Paul knows, what God knows, what Jesus knows, is that we will have a tendency to move towards things. But the problem is, Many of those are completely destructive. Now, Paul uploads the example. When you go through a tough time, don't look to wine. Don't look to alcohol. And some of you are saying, well, listen, you know what? I don't go to wine, but I go to hard liquor. Knock, knock, same thing. <laughs> but I want you to ask yourself an honest question. What do you turn to during tough times? Some of you turn to control. 
When something gets tough, you become a control freak. Others of you, when you hit tough times, you turn to anger. And anger is the way and the thing that you turn to to make it through. Well, you know what the Apostle Paul says? He says, don't do that. As a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. And when you hit tough times, the Holy Spirit resides within you. And there's a whole nother way to do life. And let me put it bluntly. If it was good enough for the disciples, and it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, then it's also good enough for Pete Hartwig. But you see, putting feet to our faith means that the next time I'm confronted with something I would never sign up for, the next time I'm moving towards something and I feel as though I want to go over here and do X or do Y or do something that I normally go to next time, I'm going to say to myself, but I've got the Holy Spirit. I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't need to go attach myself to things. I don't need to go find a what in order to help me get through. Do you want to know why? God has given you a who to help you get through. There's a huge difference. When you go after a what to get you through, it's limited. But when you go after the who of the Holy Spirit, that's eternal. And Jesus says in John 14 and John 16 that that Holy Spirit dwells in us and will never leave us. Not only that, if I'm in the midst of tough times, he will speak to me about the things of Jesus. But it also says this, he will remind us of the things Jesus has taught us. He will remind us of Scripture. Now listen. This is a solid case for why you might want to read the scriptures. Because how can the Holy Spirit remind you of something you've never read? Now, I know many of you at UVA, you're in the middle of your finals, and you're praying that God would bring to memory things you've never studied for the exams. <laughs> Am I right? I know I'm right. But here's what Jesus says about the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to bring to remembrance. He will remind you of the scriptures. Let me explain something. In my life, I have overcome things that are unspeakably powerful in my life because of this. Because instead of going after the what, I began to go after the who. Because he can do things in me that the what can't. The what is limited, and more often than not, the what is destructive. So the Apostle Paul uploads to us the issue of wine. He says, don't turn to that because that leads you where you don't want to go. But here's what's incredible, is if you look to the Spirit, Guess what's available for you? It's called the fruit of the Spirit. There's love, joy, peace, forbearance. Forbearance means you can wrestle a bear and win. Kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't want to ask for a raise of hands, but I know that some of us sitting here, you are in desperate need of self-control. Because when you hit tough stuff, you jump off a cliff, and you go after the what? I want to encourage you that these are the things that the Holy Spirit has within us if we will but turn and look to it. Paul goes on to write and says this, against those things, there are no laws. Isn't that shocking? There's never going to be a law against being too kind. Ever. There's never going to be a law that will be against joy, unless it's before 7 in the morning. There ought to be a law then. But you get the point, right? The things that the Holy Spirit can bear in you, and here's what's incredible. In that verse where the Apostle Paul says, do not go after those things, but instead be being filled with the Spirit. You know what's incredible about that? Is that it's in the passive tense. Be being filled is something that you surrender into. And the reason why I put be being filled up there is because it's very clear in the Scripture that the moment I say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit now dwells in me. But as one little boy said in looking at the verse, the reason why we have to do this is because we leak. The Spirit of God is in you the moment you say yes to Jesus, but we leak. And because of that, we must be being filled Paul goes on in that context to talk about the importance of worship and the importance of fellowship. Listen, the next time you are tempted to move in the direction that you know leads you where you know God does not want you to be, next time, instead, look to the Holy Spirit. Say, Spirit, I know that you live in me. Because I've said yes to Jesus, and I can't earn my salvation. It's a free gift. But the other thing is, Holy Spirit, is that you live in me, and with you comes fruit. And I need your fruit. And I'm going to surrender to you. Because God, in this moment, instead of hatred, instead of saying, oh, me, and throwing a pity party, God, I need joy. But you see, this is passive. It's active when you move away from the other things, but this is passive. It's something that you receive. And if you're like me, oh my goodness, if you're like me, you need to be filled more frequently than you think. You want to know why? You leak. I leak. And we need this. But here's what's amazing. Jesus said it's better that he physically went away. Because if he went away physically, then God the Father would send the promised Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit would not just be with you, but literally would be in you. And he would continue to do the work that Jesus Christ has begun. As we close out our time, I want to challenge you with this. If you don't know Jesus, and you've never accepted Christ, I want to challenge you to do that. Because I know even as a preteen boy, I didn't even have marketable sins yet. 
I didn't have the sins that, you know, would make the newspaper, would make a friend go, ooh, wow. But I had enough sin to know I was in trouble. And I had tried to quit a couple things and it wasn't working. I determined and I knew that to make it through life and to live life at its best and at its fullest, I needed help. The Bible says that you, me, we need to be saved and that Jesus is the one that can save us from our very selves. Because you see, the moment I say yes to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit now lives in me. And it's not just Pete Hartwig going through life. And it's as creepy as it may sound to you who are checking out faith. From the moment I said yes to Jesus, I've had the clearest sense that there has been someone with me ever since. Ever since. Jesus says, it's the Holy Spirit. He will be with you forever. He will be in you forever once you say yes to Christ. I'd like us to take just a moment to close our eyes and to think about for a moment the challenge of Scripture. But especially for those of us who have never said yes to Jesus. If you're sitting here and you sense that the Holy Spirit is working on your heart, working on your life, drawing you towards Jesus I want to encourage you to pray this prayer and just repeat it after me the prayer is simple it goes something like this Jesus I don't know everything there is to know about who you are what I do know is I've been trying to do life alone and in the midst of it some of that what that I have reached out for has now grabbed a hold of me Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. Jesus, I'm asking that that Holy Spirit that you give to anyone who says yes to you, that that Holy Spirit would now dwell in me. That from this moment on, I would have the clearest sense that I am not alone, but that you are this God who is with me forever and ever. Amen. We're going to take a few moments to sit in God's presence. The worship team will lead us. And as you just sit there and contemplate, I'm going to ask that you would leave your heart open for what it is the Lord would like to speak to your life. Let's do that just for a moment.
out your newsfeed there's a tear off on the right hand side just put down your basic contact information we have people that would love to help you in your newfound journey with Jesus I also want to encourage you to do something else if you have a prayer need if you have a burden that you've been carrying and you would like our prayer teams to be praying for that throughout the week I want to encourage you to write that down as well and take out that tear off and Put in the basic information for that need. Also, there's other things that you need to sign up for. Please do that as well. But at this time, we're going to go ahead and take this morning's offering. And as the offering is being taken, I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. And as you are standing with me, we're going to take a few moments just to worship the Lord together. Again, as the offering is being taken, giving is part of worship. It's part of the demonstration of our worship to God and recognizing His provision in our lives. But again, I want to encourage you that if you prayed that prayer to accept Jesus, I'm going to ask that you would fill out that form. If you don't quite get it in the offering bucket, you can feel free to drop it off at the welcome station or you can put it in one of the black boxes and that goes along as well with any prayer need that you have. As we now move into a time of worship, if you have a need in your life and you would like prayer right now, you would like someone to pray with you or to pray for you, I'm going to ask that our life group leaders as well as our prayer team leaders would begin to move to the outer edges of the auditorium. And if you would like prayer, or maybe you just accepted Jesus this morning and you want to share that with someone and have someone pray with you, I'm going to encourage you, if you've got a need or a burden and you would like prayer right now, as we worship together for the close of our service, I want to encourage you to begin to move to the walls to pray, be prayed with and prayed for by those life group leaders and those members of the prayer team. We're going to worship together now, then I'll come back and give the pastoral blessing. Let's worship Him with all of our hearts because He has given us the Holy Spirit that will be with us forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship Him.
pastoral blessing I've gotten a note that we could use a little bit of help with teardown following the service today if you'd be available to serve in that way I want to encourage you as you exit the auditorium just move diagonally to your right through the foyer you'll see a black draped off area we've got team leaders that will be there to kind of get you into the environments that we could use a little bit of help with teardown so again if you'd be able to stay and help that would be awesome and now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you his Holy Spirit and his peace. Let's worship together. If you would like to remain in worship, you can. If you would like to exit quietly, please do so.
we're far from you. You run to us. You don't have bitterness in your heart towards us. You don't have anger towards us. Thank you that you run straight to us in our suffering, in our hurting, in our pain. So we open our hearts, we open our arms to you in response to your great love. We invite you to come and heal us from deep within, Jesus. Thank you for this time this morning, Lord. Thank you for this time we can worship you and ask that you be with us throughout our week and go with us as we leave this place. Thank you for worshiping.